This is a spoiler warning for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, as well as the original trilogy as a whole. And there will also be minor, very vague spoilers for Dune, the first part of which comes out October 22nd in the U.S. I hope you'll check it out. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Popcraft, where we'll autopsy the screenplays behind your favorite films and TV shows. I'm your host, Carl Albert, and I thought we'd start today on the inaugural episode of Popcraft with a little, why are you here? Why are you listening? Popcraft. You know, it is something that I always looked for when I was starting out my career. When I was starting out as a writer, learning the craft, I wanted something really concrete. And I think that's a, a, something that's missing in the podcasting landscape and even, you know, on YouTube and the internet at large is a very concrete resource that provides uh, real examples in the works we love, whether they be films or TV shows, novels, whatever. And I don't just mean, you know, passing glances at an individual work. I think a lot of podcasts, YouTube series sort of discuss things in a very broad way or they're interested in the history of how something was made you know, the the story behind the creators, that sort of more personal side to the movies, to the TV shows. A lot of my favorite things that I continue to learn from, that I love, and, you know, that I'm sure I will talk about on this podcast, will, you know, teach you what the 3X structure is and kind of give you the beats of it, but not really tell you how it's actually applied in a story, how a story uses it, why that is effective, what that does to us, what that makes the audience feel. You know, they, they don't really talk about in the ways in which structures are flexible. And that's what I wanted to drill into is that really deep, concrete storytelling, education. And, you know, I'm still learning. I'm always going to be learning. I think writing is a medium, a craft, an art where you always have to be learning or you're falling behind. And so as I learn things, you know, I'll make specific episodes, special episodes that hone in on individual movies that highlight part of the craft that I am just now growing on, whether, you know, it's about building suspense or whatever. I want to pinpoint and learn with you guys, almost sort of in a video essay style, what makes a story tick, show you how the craft was employed, what storytelling theories were used, what philosophies, and how that improved the stories, why they were used, etc. And that is what Popcraft is all about. What makes a story work? What makes a story the story that it is? In a way, you can view it as a film school of sorts. You see, I attended, for my undergrad, film school at the University of Southern California. I attended at School of Cin- Cinematic Arts, where I majored in screenwriting, and I had a wonderful time there. I-, I had access to so many great resources that, to this day, I utilize, and I wanted to share many of those with the world at large, with the internet, with the writing community. So whether it be The Hero's Journey, Jungian Archetypes, 3X Structure, what specifically that means, how it can be used, how it isn't used, the Marvel Formula, 5X Structure, or even Shakespeare and his use of pastiche, how very little of what Shakespeare wrote was actually original. And if you don't know what any of that means, just stay tuned in, because we're going to get to all of it. We're going to cover all of it. This will be a great resource for both beginning writers and pros who want to dig down deep into the stories they love best. Well, that's just a little taste of some of the things we're going to get into on this episode and later episodes of Popcraft.
Today, we'll begin with one of my favorites, what is certainly one of the most popular films of all time, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. One thing I also want to clarify before we get into the nitty-gritty is that this podcast is not intended to be prescriptive. You know, I'm not trying to tell you this is how you tell a good story. This is the only way to tell a good story. Ultimately, I'm very much of the opinion that art is subjective, writing is subjective. This is merely me, this podcast is me telling you this is how the stories you love were told. This is why they were told the way they were. These are things you can learn from these stories. So in the vein of the nature of subjective storytelling, I do want to say that as much as I love episode four, I think it's a very imperfect movie. It's very flawed. I think the dialogue is at times really rough, and although it's evoking sort of the serial style, this very pulpy approach to dialogue, I, I think the material does suffer for it. I think the first movie, at least, episode four, is a fairly simple, straightforward story. I think it, it prioritizes the pacing over the emotion. Basically, all I'm getting at is I love episode four. I grew up with it. You know, I'm a big, huge fucking Star Wars nerd, but we have to be able to acknowledge the flaws in the things we love. And while this podcast will largely be focusing on what works in these stories, why they work, I do want to acknowledge the fact that this story, Star Wars, like any story, is not perfect. Nothing can be perfect. So don't let perfection be the enemy of good. I think that's one quick lesson you can take away. Because... Shit, I mean, Star Wars may be flawed, but man, it is so damn charming. Just got this raw energy to it. And I mean, you gotta love that, right? If you love anything like Star Wars, if you love space operas, you gotta love what Star Wars brings to the table. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? For Star Wars, I want to highlight a couple pieces of craft in particular, a couple things that I learned in my time in film school. The first of which is the hero's journey. And I think people really have a misunderstanding of what the hero's journey is. There is this broad understanding in Hollywood and I think the world at large, or at least the internet, that the hero's journey is as simple as an ordinary person goes on an extraordinary adventure and comes back to their ordinary world having changed. Now that's lovely. It's pretty fucking broad, so it's not all that applicable to learning anything, to applying it to your craft which is kind of, you know, mind-boggling that people think that this is some sort of revolutionary idea. But the truth of the matter is that's not the hero's journey, at least not as Joseph Campbell originated it. You see, Joseph Campbell, who created the monomyth as we know it, who wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces, his grand thesis on the subject, he believed there were 17 steps to the hero's journey. 17 steps. And he said... If one or another of the basic elements of the archetypal pattern is omitted, it is bound to be somehow or other implied. In other words, Joseph Campbell believed that any given story, specifically mythic stories, whether they be fairy tales or quite literally myths, it will follow these 17 steps, every single one of them, or at the very least, most of them. Now, Star Wars absolutely follows the hero's journey to a T. It it fits this narrative pattern like a glove. However, I am of the opinion that Joseph Campbell is a bit overhyped, and the hero's journey is, frankly, a bit of bullshit, too. Now, I don't want to spend the entire episode roasting the hero's journey, but I do want to explain 
a bit more about why I think it is a flawed theory. To begin with, it's based upon the psychology and philosophies of Freud and Carl Jung. Now, if you're not familiar with them, that's not ultimately that important for understanding this episode, for learning from this episode, but you can certainly, I encourage you to research them on your own time. Freud was a hack. He did not follow the scientific method. He botched a lot of his research and was likely projecting some of his own insecurities and traumas onto his patients. And while he did become extremely famous, so famous that Joseph Campbell thought he should base much of his life's work, or at the very least, the thing he's best remembered for, upon Freud's theories. He was ultimately a hack. Carl Jung is a bit more of a complicated figure. People certainly have strong feelings about him. I am neither convinced one way or another about how accurate Jung's portrayal of the human psyche was. What I can say is that he also influenced Joseph Campbell the idea of the shadow, a shadow self, that played an enormous role in the hero's journey and in Joseph Campbell's writings. Creating a foundation based on what was, frankly, a very shaky understanding of psychology and philosophy, very nebulous topics, is already a very fragile foundation for basing an entire theory about the nature of storytelling. But on top of that, Joseph Campbell outright bullshit. He connected the hero's journey with stories where it would not apply. He very casually, coincidentally, of course, ignored the Iliad while proposing the Odyssey as the perfect example of the hero's journey. The Iliad, which is, of course, the prequel to the Odyssey, the exact same characters, the same gods and heroes but features almost none of the plot beats that feature within the hero's journey. Yet I doubt one would declare it anything less than a myth. Joseph Campbell insists in the hero's journey that the hero must change, but we know that some characters are static. Some simply deny change. Some suffer a tragic flaw and die because of it. Achilles in the Iliad does not change. Many of the heroes in the Iliad do not change. Theseus does not change. Gods and myths do not change. You can look to the East, to stories all around the world that feature static heroes. But Joseph Campbell would have you believe that all myths are based around this notion of metamorphosis, of transformation, of change. Joseph Campbell would likely claim that the works of Shakespeare, as many people have, follow the hero's journey. But the truth of the matter is, the Tempest does not. Hamlet, a few beats here and there. Romeo and Juliet, I believe, does follow the hero's journey, and we'll get to what exactly the beats of that journey are in just a minute. But what I mean to say is ultimately that Joseph Campbell was very picky with what he applied the hero's journey to. He ignored stories that did not match his theory, and at times he even applied it to stories that really didn't fit either. The hero's journey is about a symbolic narrative. It hinges on the symbolism of the navel of the world, the structure he believes of this circular narrative of beginning in one place and coming back to that same place, having changed, having ascended from our base human selves into something greater, something divine. The hero's journey is ultimately about internal struggles. While the hero may 
quite literally go on an external journey. It is about their internal journey, the way in which they ascend to a sense of godhood, a greater plane of existence. And Star Wars is all about this journey. The trilogy as a whole, as we'll discuss in the coming episodes, follows the hero's journey, but the first episode completes the cycle on its own terms. A New Hope is the hero's journey, and that's very much by design. George Lucas was a student of Joseph Campbell. He's open about his influences, and I think that's something to admire about George Lucas, is he's not afraid to admit that he didn't come up with all of this himself. Now, let's get into how exactly Star Wars and New Hope fits the hero's journey. There are 17 steps to the monomyth, to the hero's journey, the first of which is the call to adventure. This is perhaps the most well-known one and certainly the most applicable to any story, whether mythic or not. This is when your hero is pulled out of their normal world and called upon their grand adventure. This is Luke Skywalker encountering two droids with a secret message for one Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is Luke Skywalker discovering plots within plots, discovering that the Empire is perhaps not the benevolent force he was raised to believe it is. This is the moment your hero gets dragged into a story far larger than their own. The second step on the hero's journey is the refusal of the call. This is one also that is fairly commonly known, but is not always implemented. However, Star Wars certainly includes it, even as it overlays it with Part 3, the supernatural aid. Now, before we get much further, I do want to say Star Wars and George Lucas does not follow the beats of the hero's journey in order. Oftentimes, he combines them. He hits two beats at the same time, sometimes perhaps even three. It's not following every single point back to back, but rather follows the pattern as a whole. So where Luke refuses the call, he refuses the call with, or rather from, his supernatural aid, his magical mentor, the wizard Ben Kenobi, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, Luke seeking out R2-D2 after R2 flees to find Obi-Wan. He comes upon the old man, the old hermit, who reveals to Luke a much larger world, a world of the Force. He reveals to Luke that his father was a Jedi Knight and encourages Luke to follow in his father's footsteps. Luke, however, is convinced, as much as he wants to go on a grand adventure, that he must stay for the harvest, that he has to stick with his aunt and uncle, that he's not ready to be a hero. So he refuses the call, even as his magical mentor, his supernatural aid, Obi-Wan Kenobi, encourages him onward. The hero cannot escape their destiny. The fourth step in the hero's journey is the crossing of the first threshold. Is that journey into mystery. Is leaving the ordinary world for one of magic, mystery, and the unknown. Is Luke returning home and finding that his aunt and uncle are dead and that he must go to avenge them, that he must fight the Empire, that he must become a Jedi like his father before him. Now this step, the crossing of the first threshold, in many ways comes after Belly of the Whale. The Belly of the Whale is perhaps one that's difficult to understand at first glance. Belly of the Whale is the fifth step in the hero's journey, and it's the final separation from the hero's known world and self. It's a moment where the hero must look inward, and see who they must become. It is their acceptance of the transformation to come. It is the first step into danger. It is that death of Aunt Baru and Uncle Owen. And ultimately, the belly of the whale and the crossing of the first threshold are tied together 
both in the hero's journey at large and certainly in Star Wars, as Luke decides to leave Tatooine and encounters his first allies in Han Solo and Chewbacca, or rather, his second allies. From there, we go into the second stage of the hero's journey. This is what Joseph Campbell calls the initiation. The hero's journey follows the three-act structure, not in the traditional Hollywood sense. We'll get into defining three-act structure in a later episode. But for now, just know that the hero's journey is split into three parts. The first part of the hero's journey is defined as the departure. Now, this is quite literally just departing from your hometown, from your ordinary world, into the adventure at large. The initiation begins the next step, the road of trials. The road of trials is a series of tests that the hero must undergo to begin their grand transformation, their ascendance to godhood. It often comes in threes, three trials to face, three different enemies, three different obstacles. In the case of Star Wars, we begin with the trial of escaping tattooing. Then we advance the trial of sneaking into the Death Star after finding that Alderaan has been destroyed. And finally, then, to escaping the Death Star. These are the three trials that Luke Skywalker, our hero, has to undergo along his journey. And along the way, along this road of trials, he stumbles upon the next steps in the hero's journey in phase two, the initiation. He begins with the meeting with the goddess, another very symbolic step, a moment of transformation or of change for the hero and for Luke Skywalker. It's an encounter with a female presence, as Joseph Campbell defines it. Now, we should be clear that, again, this is tied to the sort of Jungian archetypes, this very this binary notion of gender that I personally do not subscribe to. And it, it, it focuses upon stereotypes that I think are ultimately problematic within a modern context, and even for their time. But Star Wars does align with them. And in this case, the meeting with the goddess is, of course, the meeting with the primary female character within Star Wars, Princess Leia. This is a moment where the hero is given items that will help him in the future. In this case, the items, the, the boon, the mythical boon, is simply the rebellion itself, which will equip him with the spaceship and with the resources he needs to combat the Empire. Step eight in the hero's journey is woman is the temptress, or the temptation. It's another encounter with what Campbell defines as a feminine energy. It may not literally be a woman, it may not even be a person, but the, the ultimate purpose of woman is the temptress is to be a seduction for the hero, to force them to confront their weakness, their lusts, their insecurities, to challenge the hero, and to make them consider leaving the journey behind, putting aside all the work they've done, abandoning their adventure. This and step nine, as we'll get to it, I think are actually the two most interesting, most compelling, most dramatic steps in the hero's journey. Uh, but I don't think Star Wars actually, at least episode four, I do not believe features woman as the temptress. You know, in the grander scheme of the original trilogy, I certainly think that the temptress, the temptation is the dark side itself. And I actually think there's a specific beat in The Empire Strikes Back, which sort of fits this second arc in the hero's journey. But we're talking about A New Hope. And I don't think A New Hope really features a real temptation. You know, I don't think Luke ever really questions whether or not he's going to leave the rebellion behind. That said, 
This brings us to step nine, upon which the whole wheel turns. This is the hinge for the hero's journey, the most dramatic moment in the hero's journey, atonement with the father or the abyss. This is the lowest point for the hero. And in this case, in the case of Star Wars, it's combined with step 10. So the idea of atonement with the father is it's a confrontation with the opposite of this negative feminine energy. It's this negative paternal energy, this negative masculine energy. In the case of Star Wars, it's a literal father, Luke's literal father, although he does not know it yet. It's his first confrontation with Darth Vader. Campbell defines atonement with the father as a confrontation with a f- something or someone that has force over life or death. It's a moment of extreme stakes where the hero must confront their own inner darkness, their own shadow self, which I, we should define the shadow self. I know I've been using it a lot, but basically the shadow, the shadow self is a Jungian archetype, this Jungian idea that we all have parts of ourselves that we don't want to admit to. We have uh, unconscious darkness inside of us. And that's what Darth Vader ultimately represents in Luke, right? Is this darkness inside him, everything he's afraid he'll become, everything he'll hate, and everything he will ultimately have to overcome. In A New Hope, the atonement with the Father ties into step 10, apotheosis. Apotheosis meaning a rising to godhood, a transformation to godhood, and that often in myths comes with a death. Now, in the case of Star Wars, Luke obviously does not literally become a god, but it, this is his first big step, his first, I, I would say, emotional movement. It's what really drives him towards becoming a Jedi and connecting with the Force, and that is, of course, the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is the moment Luke is alone and vulnerable. It is the low point overlaid with the atonement with the Father. It's his confrontation with the evil of Darth Vader and the death of his mentor, his realization of his vulnerability. The apotheosis is a moment of ultimate realization and connection. It is in Star Wars the moment that Luke knows that he is alone now and that he has to rise up, and he does. And it is also, frankly, a moment that Star Wars glosses over, you know? Luke doesn't spend a lot of time mourning Obi-Wan. He doesn't spend a lot of time ruminating over the death. As important as it is, I think Star Wars does not lean into it as much. And I think that's why I find steps 9 and 8 really the most fulfilling, the most dramatic part. Because even Star Wars, as quickly paced as it is, really takes time to build to these moments, the conflicts themselves. That's what Star Wars focuses on, is the the drama, the conflict, the, the external the external push and pull. And so Luke continues on, and from this, he receives his ultimate boon. This is, of course, the rescuing of Princess Leia, the escape from the Death Star, and the ultimate encounter with the Rebellion. The ultimate boon is what the hero went on the journey to get. Again, saving Princess Leia. Everything leads to this moment. Everything. It is the transition from the second act to the third, from the initiation to the return. This is the moment where the hero becomes a hero. After rescuing Princess Leia and escaping the Death Star and losing Obi-Wan Kenobi, we come to the third act of Star Wars, the third act of the hero's journey, the twelfth step in the hero's journey in the first act, or rather the first step in this third act. Joseph Campbell defines as the refusal 
of the return. This is a moment that Star Wars skips outright. It's a moment that many journeys skip outright. Luke never really questions whether or not he will continue his journey after Obi-Wan dies. He doesn't question whether he needs to go back into the fight. The refusal of the return is all about the hero being conflicted about whether or not to help their fellow man, whether or not they should use their gifts to bestow boons upon the world. Luke never struggles with this. He never questions whether he wants to use the Force to help others. He never questions whether he wants to join the rebellion. He simply does. Which brings us to the grand climax to the narrative, the magic flight. This is the 13th step in the hero's journey. It's something that Joseph Campbell describes as an escape. It's the moment when the hero must leave this, the most deadly of places, Hades, hell. It's a Promethean escape the fire of the gods, to share this boon, this knowledge, with the rest of humanity. In the case of Star Wars, it is quite literally a magic flight. It is Luke jumping into a spaceship, kicking ass and taking names, and taking down the Death Star. It is a moment of the highest stakes. In this final conflict, the hero may suffer a deadly blow, a mortal wound that can lead to their death in a time of tragedy, or it could lead the divine intervention, the rescue by a sudden, miraculous savior. This brings us to the 14th step, rescue from without. It's pretty self-explanatory, I think. And in the case of Star Wars, that's doubly true. Han Solo flies in, ye fucking ha. He blows Darth Vader to kingdom come and allows Luke to save the galaxy to make that one in a million shot to destroy the Death Star. It's the ultimate hell yeah moment which brings us finally to the heroes having saved the day to the final few steps to the celebration of all that we've gone through to the catharsis that we long for it's the crossing of the return threshold of our hero returning to the ordinary world to share their boon with everyone this is of course luke returning now connected to the force having taken his first real steps towards becoming a Jedi Knight. This is Luke, now a master of the two worlds. Two worlds, of course, being the mortal realm and the realm of the divine. This is Luke having the freedom to live, to be the man that he wants to be. Those are the last three steps on the hero's journey, all overlaid. The crossing of the return threshold, master of the two worlds, and the freedom to live. Star Wars, of course, they're embodied by that ultimate scene where Han and Luke receive medals from Leia and are declared heroes of the rebellion. As you can see, while the hero's journey is certainly very symbolic in its nature, and that is by design, simultaneously very specific and very broad, Star Wars does follow it to a T. It follows 16 of the 17 steps, and although it overlays many of them, it very much is within that grand monomyth that Joseph Campbell devised. So why do we find the hero's journey compelling? Well, frankly, it's certainly on one hand the larger-in-life narrative that it implies. It typically involves a relatable hero, someone who starts ordinary and becomes extraordinary. It's empowering. It's just, you know aspirational. It's everything Star Wars is. It's exciting. And it features this great inward transformation that gives us hope that we too can change into something better than what we are that we can evolve and grow and become something almost divine. It inspires us because it's about hope, an old hope. I think you can imagine 
why there's sort of a cult around the hero's journey. It's frankly a compelling story. And it's certainly a very exciting prospect to think that, you know, someone has cracked the secrets to good storytelling. And I do think that there's something to be said for the monomyth as a structure, as something to follow. I think you'll get a pretty good story out of it, perhaps something a bit formulaic if you lack the ability to imbue the story with soul, with real three-dimensional characters. But, I mean, it worked for Star Wars, so why the hell not? It's something that I think Hollywood is maybe a little too obsessed with. Perhaps not quite as obsessed with it as they are with three-act structure, which, again, we'll get to in a later episode. But it's something that I don't think is as strong a framework for every single story. It's something that is a tool to look at, something to learn perhaps, but not something to feel as the end-all be-all of storytelling. And that's where I think writers and executives, producers, anyone involved with telling stories maybe goes a little overboard. Now to recap, the first of the 17 steps is the call to adventure. It's our hero being dragged into the larger story. Second step is refusal of the call. That is our hero denying their place and the narrative at large. The third step is the supernatural aid. This is the, perhaps the introduction of a magical mentor, of some godly figure who provides a boon of some sort, the lightsaber in Luke's case. The fourth step is the crossing of the first threshold. This is the hero entering the adventure. This is the start of trials, which leads into the fifth step, the belly of the whale, where the hero finally is forced to confront their inner self, their shadow self, they must look inward and come to understand how they must change. Then we enter the second act of the hero's journey with step six, the road of trials. Often there are three trials, as there are in Star Wars. Step seven is the meeting with the goddess, in which our hero is confronted with some sort of female presence. That presence may not actually be a woman, and it may not even actually be a person. It's simply about being confronted with a nurturing force, a moment of victory, of success, of love and joy, which is immediately followed by step eight, woman is the temptress. It's the moment our hero, through whether an encounter with some quite literal seductress or some dark force, is tempted to leave their journey, to put aside all the work they've done and to run away, which leads us to step nine, atonement with the father. It's that grand confrontation, the shadow self, this dark paternal force, a confrontation with life or death. It's the moment where the hero has to face their fears, face their hatred, face all the worst of what they might become, and move past it to touch upon step 10, apotheosis, or their ascension to godhood. The moment they make that final connection with the divine where they take the ultimate step they need to. They may not ultimately, or they may not yet have reached godhood or have reached that level of divine knowledge. They may not yet be the Buddha. They may not yet be Zen. But they have taken what is ultimately the most important step on their journey. Step 11 is the ultimate boon. Having reached their apotheosis, the hero receives some grand item, some weapon perhaps, or even just some aid of some kind, whether it be from a force or a person, a tool, an organization, an event, the hero is given their second chance, or their third chance, as it were, their fourth or fifth chance, their final chance to stand up 
and be the person that they were meant to be. This brings us into the final act of the hero's journey with step 12, refusal of the return. This is the moment where the hero may deny their return to the mortal world. It is a moment that Star Wars skips. It is a bit clunky within the larger narrative, I think, because the conflict may not yet be done. And it certainly isn't in Star Wars, which brings us to step 13, the magic flight. It's an escape. It's a flight from the innermost cave of their dark conflict, a flight from whatever guardians, and that is guardians as in an evil term, not of the galaxy, that they have faced. It is Luke destroying the Death Star, which leads us to step 14, rescue from without, the, the divine intervention, the deus ex machina, if you will, of after the hero has grown and changed, has saved the day, they are spared ultimate tragedy by divine interference. Finally, 15, the crossing of the return threshold, the hero returns home. It doesn't literally have to be home, as in the case of Star Wars, Luke merely returns to the rebellion. He does not go back to Tatooine. It's really about that sense of status quo, that level of peace, even if the story is to continue. The hero has changed and can now reach a level of normalcy where they can use their change, their betterment, for the good of all mankind. Step 16, the penultimate step of the hero's journey is master of the two worlds. This is where the hero embraces their role as both mortal and divine. This is Luke being a Jedi Knight, connecting with the Force. And the final step is 17, freedom to live, the ultimate catharsis, being at peace with oneself and one's world. And that is the hero's journey and how Star Wars fits into it. This is not all I want to discuss in regards to Star Wars. I think there's a lot more we can learn, and I'm not going to be able to hit on everything in this episode. But certainly the next thing that I think you'll see ties right into the hero's journey. The Really the foundation for the narrative of Star Wars at large, and really we can't talk about it without talking about this, is the notion of pastiche. Star Wars is a pastiche. If you don't know what a pastiche is, you can think of it as sort of a patchwork of storytelling. It's quite literally stealing from all of these influences, all these sources, and throwing them together, mixing them up, and making a story out of that. In the case of Star Wars, George Lucas is very open about his influences. He's very open about what inspired him to tell the story of Star Wars, both in terms of the mythic nature of the hero's journey, but as well as the literal, as well as the visual and narrative influences from Westerns, from Akira Kurosawa, from sci-fi and space opera that he had seen, from the serials he grew up with. And we'll get into these very specifically so you kind of see what I'm talking about. We'll begin with the Western influence of Star Wars. There are two Westerns in particular that George Lucas recognizes as being uh, influences upon him. First is Once Upon a Time in the West, and the second is The Searchers. I think there's a lot of documentation. It's kind of widely known among Star Wars fans about how influenced it is by Westerns. I mean, you can look at The Mandalorian today, sort of that lone bounty hunter, lone wolf and cub storytelling. And that certainly began with A New Hope. It plays a role in terms of the visual storytelling. George Lucas copies shots directly, reuses them. It, it plays a role in terms of the archetypes he employs, whether it be the sort of the, the sand people who are sort of, the, frankly, racist 
caricatures of Native Americans. You have the bounty hunters. You know, Boba Fett is a famous example, of course. Uh, you have Jabba the Hutt, who is sort of that, that evil gangster uh, in the mining town. You have the lone gunman, the sort of outlaw with a heart of gold in Han Solo. I mean, it's it's very clear, honestly, the Western influence when you really look at it, especially the visual style. From Once Upon a Time in the West, specifically, George Lucas uh, makes a lot of references to specific scenes and specific shots. There's also... So Once Upon a Time in the West follows... The, the, the crux of the conflicts of, one, of Once Upon a Time in the West is centered on this evil rail baron who sends in, basically, his grunt... The Man in Black. Sound a bit familiar? That's, of course, the Emperor and Darth Vader, and that is supposedly one of the earliest influences on Darth Vader for George Lucas, was the Man in Black. From The Searchers, George Lucas straight up stole a scene where the hero encounters a burning farm. That became the Luke's encounter, or rather Luke's discovery, of his aunt and uncle dead in their homestead. Heading east... To discuss more Westerns, we have, of course, the legendary Akira Kurosawa, who I hope to discuss on a later episode. The Hidden Fortress is his movie that I think is most clearly uh, apparent its influence in A New Hope. You have the structure of the film, as well as the characters of C-3PO and R2-D2, who are, you know, of course, these bumbling comedic relief characters, asexual life partners who talk constantly about how much they just fucking hate each other, that came from the Hidden Fortress. Like A New Hope, the Hidden Fortress opens with these two male peasants who get caught up in the conflict of the story and the war at the center of the story and who we follow until we encounter our real hero, just like C-3PO and R2-D2. The design of one of the villainous samurai in the Hidden Fortress directly influenced the visual language of Darth Vader, the, the design of the Darth Vader. So you can almost think of Darth Vader as sort of this amalgamation of the man in black from Once Upon a Time in the West and the samurai from the Hidden Fortress. George Lucas took that opening title crawl from the serials he grew up with, like Flash Gordon, where they would tell you where the story had been, what had happened, and a little bit of what to expect in the episode to come. George Lucas was inspired by Jack Kirby's The Fourth World, a comic book tale about a space opera about Darkseid, Dark Lord of Apocalypse, whose son must rise up against him to defeat him for the new gods. His son also does not know that he is Darkseid's son. George Lucas was inspired by Dune, perhaps most famously, the desert planet of Tatooine in Star Wars was inspired by the desert planet of Arrakis in Dune. Both stories feature sand crawlers to, to traverse the desert. Both feature a spice that is worth loads and loads and loads of money. Both feature sandworms of a form. There's the sarlacc in Star Wars, although that did not appear in A New Hope, of course. And the sandworm in Dune. You have the Empire in both Star Wars and Dune ruled over by an evil emperor who ultimately the hero must confront. You have a prophesied savior. Now, admittedly, the prophecies in Dune and Star Wars work a bit differently, but there's Princess Leia and Princess Alia, 
and Dune. The names themselves sound similar, and I think you can see their sort of fiery personalities. Uh, well, certainly Alia inspired Leia. The familial relationship of the hero to the villain. I won't get more specific than that because I know people are very excited about Dune. I'm very excited about Dune. I hope to talk about it at a later date when it comes out this fall. But there is a, a connection between the heroes and villains in Dune. In Star Wars, you have the Force, mystical Force, used by the heroes. And in Dune, you have the Voice, which is similarly pseudo-mystical, pseudo-spiritual, pseudo-scientific, but is incredibly powerful with which the hero can command people to do whatever they want them to do. The Bene Gesserit Sisterhood of Dune inspired the Jedi, this secret political force with magical powers. The supernatural similarities continue. We don't need to keep listing them out. The point of this is that George Lucas was not afraid to take from the stories he loved. That doesn't mean copy and paste an entire narrative and just claim it as your own. Don't just file off the serial numbers. But don't be afraid to embrace who you are and the stories you love. Don't be afraid to take things from the stories you love. That is how you make something that transcends, that impacts people, that moves them. That's how you make a story that changes the world. If there's anything you take away from this episode, anything you can learn from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, I hope it's that what is old can be new again. So whether it's the timeless power of the monomyth, as flawed as I do believe it is, there's certainly something to be said for it, and it, as, as a structure at the very least. There's something to be said for pastiche and stealing from your influences, combining them all together, making a patchwork narrative that has your own distinct voice. What is old can be new again. So don't be afraid to be the writer that you are. With that, I think I'll end this first episode of Popcraft. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes. I've launched with three episodes, so you can jump right on to The Empire Strikes Back. It'll be awesome. I actually have a guest. You won't just have to listen to me drone on and on. I'm certainly... Uh, Let's say I have mixed feelings about monologuing into a microphone. So please check that out. The Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie. It's widely considered the best, and I think there's a lot of really interesting things we can learn from it. Until next time, keep it breezy. Over easy, folks. This has been Popcraft.